We'll turn with me once again, if you would, to the book of Acts, as we continue our study of this book of the Bible. For those of you who are visiting this morning, um, we have been working our way through this biblical book. We've been studying it verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, in order to uh, learn what the Lord wants to teach us here today from His Word. And we do this because, as I prayed, we believe that God has spoken to His people. That this book is not just a dead, ancient document, but that it is the Word of Life, preserved for many generations for the edification and growth of His people. And the book of Acts is a unique kind of book. I mean, every book in the Bible has a different uh, genre. It's a different type of literature, and we've got to read it in that way. We've got to interpret it in that way. And Acts is essentially a history book. It's a history book. It's the story of how this small band of followers blossomed into a movement that the world had never, ever seen before. And frankly, we'll never ever see again. Most recently, it's a movement that as we have started at the very beginning of the book of Acts, and we've looked at it, it's a movement that began in this ancient city of Jerusalem, and like you throw a rock into a pond and the ripples emanate out from the initial impact, so the movement that began in Jerusalem is now rippling out by the Lord's directions to other parts of the ancient world. And that rippling is something that we're going to look at today and we're going to focus on today. And it's something that we will see as we continue our study through this book in the coming weeks. It's a rippling that eventually lands the Gospel here in Edmonds, Washington in 2014. So listen and... uh, Let's consider what God has done and what God is doing. I'm going to read Acts chapter 8, the second half of the chapter, starting at verse 26. Starting at verse 26 till the end. Listen as I read. Now when, excuse me, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose And he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? 
And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through the preached gospel, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. A divine appointment. That's the title that I've chosen for this message this morning, and it's a word, it's a phrase that Christians often use to acknowledge the fact that we don't live in a world of chance. A divine appointment. Instead, we recognize that we live in a world where every molecule is under the lordship of the God who created us. And because of this, strictly speaking, we would say that there are, there just aren't any coincidences. Well, this account this morning of Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch is not only a reminder of that great truth, that God is sovereign, that we don't live in a world of coincidences, but we live in a world that is under a good, loving God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. But it's also a story which Luke, guided by the Holy Spirit, tells us to remind us specifically what God is doing with this message. What God is doing with the Gospel. Namely, Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, wants to show us the scope of God's story of redemption. The scope of God's story of redemption. Remember, the book of Acts is not a comprehensive history. We don't learn everything that went on in the early church. No, Luke is taking events that happen, events that are true, and he's selecting them by the, whole, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit to create a history that God wants His people to hear and to know for all ages. We could look at a lot of different things in this passage. There's a lot to talk about. And I'm probably going to leave you wanting by not talking about some of the things that you would like talked about. But I want to focus our attention, I want to focus our hearts on what I think is the primary thing that the Bible is trying to tell us. That Luke is trying to tell us. That God wants to tell His church this morning. And it's this. One truth, kids, those of you who are taking notes, this is the way we're going to roll today. One truth... With three subpoints. Ooh. One truth with three subpoints. I told that to Drew and he's like, ooh, I like subpoints. One truth, three subpoints. All right, kids? So here's the one truth no one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond God's reach. Now let me explain that. More specifically, what I mean by that truth is that the story that God is writing through the book of Acts, 
through the story of Philip and Ethiopian, is his story. It's a story with Jesus at the center, with the good news of what Jesus has done at the center of it all. But then the fact that that good news is going out and is reaching more than anyone thought could be reached. So we're going to talk a little bit about who it includes, this gospel, what this reach includes, and where this reach goes. They're kind of one and the same. From a human standpoint, the message of Jesus really ought not be in this desert place. It ought not be on this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. After all, it wasn't too long before when this was really exclusively a city phenomenon. It was kind of an urban fad, this movement of Jesus. But then what happened? Persecution hit. And we've already talked about that persecution, about where it came from and why it came. But persecution hit, and people began to scatter. And people like Philip went to places like Samaria, places they maybe wouldn't have gone before. And they went to places like Samaria, and as a result, God brings the joy of new life in Jesus to the half-breed Samaritans. Here this morning, Philip has spent time in Samaria. We looked at that a couple weeks ago when we were blast in this book. Philip continues this task that God has given him. Clearly, he is on a brand new mission of sorts today. And it's a mission aimed not at a city, but it's a mission aimed at one man. You notice that? It's a mission aimed at one man. I mean, that very thought in and of itself ought to take us back a bit. I mean, think about this Samaria is where it's at. I mean, Samaria is where the action is. That's where the buzz is. Good things are happening there. People are coming to Christ. People are responding to the Word. There is joy throughout the city. And now, Lord, You want Your servant who started this all, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to go where? Out in the desert? We'll get back to that in a minute, about that phenomenon. But what we need to see first is that this whole story is an example. It's a picture of God reaching. Of God in His grace reaching out to those who were once thought to be beyond hope. To those who were hopeless, hope has now come. And so as we kind of Set our hearts on that truth that no one is beyond God's reach. Let's look at the subpoints, all right? So here we go, kids. Here's the first subpoint. No one is beyond God's reach, and it doesn't matter where you came from. Because it doesn't matter where you came from. See, at the center of this story is an unlikely convert. I mean, really, he is. He's an unlikely convert. And he's unlikely for a host of reasons. But the first, let's just focus on the first reason, is because he's an Ethiopian. 
Now, Ethiopia in the ancient world was just south of Egypt. It's also known in the scriptures as Cush. And it's not modern-day Ethiopia. All of you, you know, African geography buffs that know your African geography well. It's not modern Ethiopia. It would more be modern Sudan. Ancient Ethiopia would be modern Sudan. But regardless of where exactly it is, because I know that you guys aren't African geography buffs, probably, just know this. Ethiopia is far from Jerusalem. I mean, it is far from Jerusalem. This man is likely on something like a five-month journey from Jerusalem to get back home. He's on the return trip, right? He's on the return trip. And we don't know much about this Ethiopian. We don't even know his name. But we know that apparently he feared the God of Israel. Though he is outside of the nation of Israel, literally and figuratively, Somehow he had caught wind of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And somehow he had been intrigued, and somehow he had become devoted. And now he was what we would call a God-fearer. And he was devoted enough to make this long five-month journey to come to Jerusalem to worship and to come to know the God that he loved. And we think, well, why are we told this? I mean, this, he's an outsider. Why are we told that he's an Ethiopian? We're told that because this man represents the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, been there, Samaria, we were just there. And to the ends of the earth. See, way back in chapter 6, when we looked at that account in that chapter, we were reminded that God's plan was for the nations. That God's plan in the history of redemption was always to bring a people from every tribe, nation, tongue to Himself. And Stephen, remember back in chapter 6, Stephen, I made all those parallels with Joshua. Stephen is the new Joshua leading God's people into a new conquest. A new conquest of lands armed with the Gospel and nothing more. And here even without going to the ends of the earth, God is saying, I'm going to the ends of the earth. Even through this Ethiopian. Even through this one man. It's an interesting little side note because sometimes in our modern world, sometimes in our modern apologetic, our defense of the faith, Christianity, following Jesus, gets criticized as kind of a white man's thing. Right? This is a white man's Western religion. And nothing could be farther from the truth when you go back to the origins of our faith. Here is a Middle Eastern Jewish dark-skinned man sharing the Gospel and converting an African with even darker skin. We're the outsiders if there's any outsiders. Our faith. God's plan has always been for the nations. By telling of 
This man, Luke, reminds us this morning that no one is out of his reach. No one is out of his reach. And that's always been his plan. But the color of his skin, that's not even the half of it with this guy. Right? I mean, he's an Ethiopian, yes. But there's something much more significant even than that. And that brings us to our second sub-point, kids. And that's this. Not only does it not matter where you're from, but it doesn't matter what you've done. No one is beyond God's reach. It doesn't matter where you're from, and it doesn't matter what you've done. There are three important details that Luke gives us about this nameless man that Philip intersects. Right? One is he's an Ethiopian. We've covered that. Two is he's a court official. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But three, it's that he's a eunuch. That he's a eunuch. Now, it was a reality in the ancient world, in a world full of harems of women, that some men, even voluntarily, yes, even voluntarily at times, other times not, were emasculated in order that they didn't pose a risk to the women that they were caring for and the women that they were guarding. And as hard as that is for us to believe, that was an acceptable thing in a lot of ancient societies. But the thing that you need to know this morning is that though it may have been acceptable in society, it was a disaster for worshiping Yahweh. Because it meant you were mutilated. You weren't fit. And Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, you can look at it later, makes explicit that such men are not to be in the assembly of God. According to ancient Israel's laws of purity, this Ethiopian eunuch, because of his past, because of what he had done, was to be excluded from God's presence. Just think about this. Here is a man who in his home country is a man of significant influence and wealth. Right? That's the other thing that Luke tells us about him. It's the other description that he wants us to know about him. I mean, this guy was essentially the CFO of the Queen of Ethiopia. He has a title. He has a chariot. Not everybody just rode around in chariots. That was a thing of privilege, a thing of wealth. And what's the other telltale sign about this guy that cues us off to the fact that he was a man of influence and wealth? It's that he has a scroll of Isaiah. I mean, we got we got a hundred Bibles in here in our laps, but in ancient times, in this time, to have a scroll of Isaiah was very rare. Very odd. He was a man of some means in order to obtain this and to take it away from Jerusalem. As we said before, this wealthy foreigner had heard of the God of Israel and had become a God-fearer. He was serious enough to travel all these miles to worship. And whether he knew it was coming or not, because we don't know what extent his knowledge was in traveling to Jerusalem, at some point, he realized that he would not be able to fully participate in the worship of God. That there would be a wall 
that there would be some sort of separation. And so maybe he was riding back on this long month journey and, and maybe he was a bit dejected. We don't know. Maybe he was confused, searching the scroll of Isaiah for help, for answers. I mean, this was a guy who was from the wrong place and he had done or had done to him the wrong things. That is, until a stranger comes. Until a stranger literally runs alongside of his chariot in order to tell him the full story that God is writing. A story of a far reach. A far reach that trumps where you're from, that trumps anything that you've done. It's the story of God's grace to you in Jesus. Philip finds him reading Isaiah. One wonders if he had read the prophecy. I mean, it tells us what he was reading when Philip came upon him, but one wonders if he had read the prophecy of Isaiah 56, or maybe Philip took him there after he explained to him what this passage meant that we read about here in Acts chapter 8. But let me just read you a bit of Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 8, as the prophet prophesies and says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord shall surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to His servants, I will bring these to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What a beautiful thing for the eunuch to read, to to see, and to have Philip explain to him Jesus. You see, God is gathering the outcasts of Israel and the nations that he might receive the glory. Because no one is beyond his reach. And and this is where I think the story becomes ours. It, It comes directly to us. Because this story is not just here. It's not just here for us to look back and and to just marvel at what God has done and what God is doing in the world. But this account should also cause us to ask the question. What things in our lives, what perceived obstacles or blockers in our lives keep us from the Lord? I mean, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and and you have struggled to fully accept God's love for you in Jesus because you see, there is just this past issue. There is just this thing in your past that you just think, God, God couldn't, He couldn't love me with that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. 
And maybe you have or haven't looked at the Christian faith, and maybe it does or doesn't make sense to you intellectually, but you, you have concluded that, yeah, it could never be for me. And, and maybe one of the reasons that you're saying it could never be for you is because you didn't grow up in the church, and, and you don't know anything about the Bible, and then there is your past. It's a past that no one would want because you've got plenty of things in that record that you're not happy about, that you're not pleased about. God could never forgive the damage you've done, the relationships you've scarred, the people you've hurt. You see, to both unbeliever and believer this morning, God reminds you that no one is outside of His reach. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. He offers you His grace. He offers you His forgiveness freely in Jesus. That's the point of this story. That's the experience of the Ethiopian eunuch. This this dejected and confused man on his way back. And now Philip tells him, it's all about Jesus. Jesus has torn down every hindrance. Just hide yourself in Him. Hide yourself in His robes of righteousness because He is worthy. He is all that you need. And suddenly the Ethiopian, the nameless man, has a new name. It's Christian. He has a new identity. He has a new master. And he goes on his way rejoicing. What a beautiful story of God's reach, of God's grace. But God did that not just for the eunuch. God offers the same hope, the same joy to you. And not just that, but he is after you. I mean, this whole path, this is the one thing that we haven't really looked at. And I guess this is our third subpoint, kids. He is after you. This is the one thing that we haven't looked at is that this whole passage is dripping with God's providence. God is ordering the world in order to accomplish his purposes. And it begins with this explicit instruction to intersect this man. It continues to what he was reading when Philip arrived. Was it an accident that he was in Isaiah 53 when Philip arrived? No, it wasn't an accident. Well, how did Philip know he was there? Well, because he was reading out loud. And that wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. They read out loud all the time. It improved comprehension. It improved memorization. And so Philip heard him. And how did he hear him? He was Ethiopian. Because he was reading in Greek. The common language of the day. The Septuagint. All these things were creating a divine appointment for the Ethiopian eunuch. He would go to whatever lengths necessary to get this man. And and he did this for just this one man. Just this one man. Philip is directed to go in the middle of nowhere. But none of this is a mistake. And if you're hearing these words this morning, which I know you are, because you're sitting here before me, 
you being here this morning is no mistake. Yes, you chose to come here, but you're here in that seat because God put you in that seat. You could be a million other places, but you aren't. You could be among the millions of people in the world who have never heard the message that I've just proclaimed to you, that there is new life in Jesus. There is forgiveness no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, from in Jesus. Millions have never heard that, but it has just come through your ears. And that is no mistake, my friends, because Jesus is after you. And so the question that you've got to ask This morning, as you think about this passage, is what is God doing in me right now? What is God doing in me right now? Will you trust Him like the Ethiopian? Can you recognize why He's brought you here? Can you recognize what the Lamb of God has done for you? the Ethiopian believed and his life would never be the same and the ripples I'm sure went out into Ethiopia and continued to go to the ends of the earth. And that's one of the things I think that is the takeaway or one of the takeaways for us who know and love Jesus. Because I know a lot of you, I know a lot of your hearts and your love for the Lord Jesus and your desire to serve him. I think one of the takeaways is Though I don't want to make the whole sermon a lesson in evangelism or a a case study in conversion, it's worth pointing out that what was enough for Philip? It was the Word of God. It was proclaiming Jesus through the Word of God. That was sufficient. No sneaky emotional manipulation. No fancy evangelism program. Just follow the Lord's direction and talk to Him about Jesus. Open up the Word to Him. And let God's Spirit do the rest. Because after all, this is God's work. And so yes, this is a divine appointment. We ought to pray for those divine appointments. We ought to pray that we would be sensitive to the Lord's leading, though the Lord is not going to lead you in the same way He led Philip. He will put people in your path to be able to share with them. You have confidence in the message and the power behind that message. But even more than that, don't miss the fact of what God is doing and what God has done. No one is beyond His reach. No matter where you're from. No matter what you've done. Amen. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for such a glorious Gospel for such a wonderful message that You have entrusted to us as a church, that You have entrusted to us as Your people. Father, it is amazing to think about. Even as we think just about the history of our world, to think about this small band, this small movement where so many other movements, thousands of movements have just failed and and sputtered and died out, and yet this movement, carried by Your Spirit, carried by Your servants, empowered by Your Word, has literally changed our world. Father, we long that it would continue to do so, that the name of Jesus 
might cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. Father, use us, we pray, that Your kingdom would come, that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.